Hello, and welcome to our latest episode of the Healthcare Checkup Podcast. My name is Nicole Thorne, and I'm a healthcare attorney here at Browse McDowell. And I'm joined today by Lori Kilpeck, one of our partners in our Trust in Estates practice group. Welcome, Lori. Thank you. I oftentimes try to cover topics in these podcasts that are applicable to physicians and other healthcare providers where they overlap with other areas of the law. And so I wanted to talk with you today about estate planning for physicians and the importance of taking care of your assets. And I know you and I have talked about, you know, the the critical nature of estate planning in general, right? But I think you see, and so do I, a lot of times physicians who generally have a substantial amount of assets and, and folks tend to think morbidly when they think about estate planning, but there really are some key business reasons even why physicians and other business owners in healthcare want to make sure that they have a plan uh, for the, the cases where something happens to them, they become incapacitated or frankly just too sick for a period of time to conduct their business. And so I want to just talk with you a little bit today about some of those real world examples um, and, and some, some, some suggestions that you have with regard to, um, you know, physician ownership and really some, some ways that doctors can protect themselves and their assets and, and do some preventive planning. So kicking things off, maybe, why don't you just share with us a little bit about um, kind of some of the uh, areas where you see it being important for physicians to do any type of estate or trust planning? Well, thank you for the introduction, Nicole, and I'm happy to join you this afternoon. As Nicole gave the bit of the background with estate planning, it's, it's important for every professional to think of their estate plan as well as the succession planning for their practice. So the, a lot of times they go hand in hand, and we like to work together with the team of their professional advisors, their financial advisor, their tax preparer, as well as us as their estate planning practice group. So typically when I am working with a physician, you know, one of the first steps is counseling them and understanding what their overall estate planning objectives are. Some of those, you know, things that need to be considered with estate planning are, you know, the spouse, the children, um, any special needs that come up or special concerns that individual might have with their own family situation. So when we're meeting with somebody, we're gathering information, we're asking, you know, for the family history, um, basic information, ages of children, having an understanding of what the assets are to make sure we're properly and appropriately planning for those objectives. Sometimes somebody's coming to us from, you know, a tax perspective, questions worrying about how to reduce or eliminate the estate tax. Um, sometimes it's concerns over a child, uh, maybe the physician or the couple, they have minor children that you don't want to receive the assets outright at 18 should something happen to both um, husband and wife. So you're, you're looking at, you know, how to protect the children, how sometimes how to protect a spouse. Sometimes a child might not be able to receive assets. Maybe they have special needs situation or they're in a situation where you're trying to protect them until they have an understanding or the knowledge of how to handle their own financial affairs before they would receive a distribution. So again, and that's not just physicians, that's everybody who needs to think about, you know, what their objectives are and what the overall concern is that they're looking for an estate planning perspective. We also look at, you know, are they assets in Ohio or do they have assets in other states to be able to appropriately plan for the overall umbrella of the estate plan to cover all of the assets. 
when we meet with somebody, we are looking at four key documents or basic documents that you want to have in place. And that starting with the healthcare power of attorney, a durable power of attorney, uh, those documents, as you may know, take control while somebody is living but incapacitated, that somebody is stepping up to step into their shoes when they're not able to make decisions for himself or herself. Along with those documents, especially with physicians, we most likely want to look at discussing the purpose and the importance of a trust agreement, whether it be the importance of planning for children or spouse, protecting assets, um, reducing or eliminating estate taxes that may be due, avoiding probate court, um, and then also having a will, even though you may have a trust agreement in place, that that will is a catch-all, that it pours over um, any assets that aren't titled or have the trust as a beneficiary that the will provides that the assets get into the trust. The other important thing that a will will do is if the couple or the individual has minor children is to be able to name the guardian and to designate a guardian should you, something happen to you, that you have that person in place designated who you would want to take care of the children. One other important feature of a will is the naming of an executor. And that's important even if you have a trust in place because if there was any sort of litigation that you were involved in before you pass away or your executor needs to file anything, the, uh, any sort of litigation, you have that person designated to be able to step into your shoes. So those are key documents that you want to look at with estate planning. But as well, when you're Going through this, you also want to look at what the assets are and any business interests or succession planning with the practice that a physician may have. We're going to be working as a team to see within that practice what the agreements are and if there are, you know, any buy-sell agreements, um, you know, making sure that the assets are properly titled and that they go hand in hand with the estate planning documents. Um, so, you know, those are some of the things, you know, at that first meeting and as we go through to make sure that the documents are what your wishes are and that your objectives are met as far as beneficiaries and how you want to have your assets transferred, you know, that you have a voice that's heard to have everything transferred and follow in your plan and objectives. Yeah. And that, that is a lot to unpack. And I think, you know, one of the things I know we talked about too, is that, you know, is even as professionals, I think sometimes, you know, we put it on ourselves that we're supposed to show up to our first meeting with our trust and estates attorney and sort of have our life lives mapped out. And it just, you know, that's, I guess the important point here is that, I think you would you would say and, and correct me if I'm wrong that you don't have to have it all planned out and and that's why someone is coming to someone like you um, because there are lots of of considerations to be made and and so that first meeting really is as you described kind of a discovery process right whereby you know you're kind of asking the questions right okay does this apply do you have one of these do you have a second residence in Florida or you know, are your kids close to going to college? And and so based on that fact-finding mission, then you're going to develop a game plan and maybe there will be some homework questions, right? Yes. Meaning things that we don't know. And, and, and I know you and I discussed this just on a personal level. It's like deciding who you can honestly say or name as a guardian for your kids. I mean, those are things that often prompt some discussion. And, and even if you don't know the answer coming into your first meeting, those are all takeaways that you might help a client with 
um, as you begin to, to draft and identify the documents that are relevant. Um, so maybe just tell us a little bit more. So first meeting is fact-finding mission, and then what, what sort of happens from there, and what, how, how do those timelines kind of work out? Yeah, great question. So Nicole, you're right. You know, generally when I meet with somebody, it is more fact-finding and discussing, you know, what they're comfortable with finding from them, what their objectives are and what, you know, they're thinking. And then me giving suggestions and me working with them as to, you know, to counsel, okay, so your children are this age or they're that age. And, you know, here's what we foresee and what you want to provide, um, you know, getting some of the background information and, you know, letting them get to know me and me getting to know them as well. So. I see what some of their wishes are and how they want their plan. Is it to protect, you know, long-term is what are their primary concerns and then making recommendations based off that, you know, especially with young children and having to determine a guardian. I think that's probably with a younger couple, one of the single most important discussions that do come up. So after that first meeting with a couple, I try to make it easy because I know everybody you know, is busy and has a lot going on. So I usually send a summary of further information uh, for them to get back to me or discuss when, once they've left my office. And so then that way it makes it easier because there's more of a checklist of further information that I would need. And once I have some of that information, then I'm able to do the drafting of the documents. I never want to put somebody on the spot either. So once I have all of the information, and again, sometimes there's follow-up calls or a follow-up meeting, you know, I want everybody to be able to come to me and, you know, have their questions answered. Because again, maybe it's something that was done 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and needs updating, or maybe, you know, we're starting from scratch that there are not any documents in place. Be able to understand, you know, the importance and, you know, why we want these documents in place. And then once I have the information back and we've gone back and forth and I'm in a place where I can prepare the documents, I always send the documents off for the individual or the couple to look at. And then that way they're able to do it when they have the time to sit down and read through them instead of putting somebody on the spot and saying, okay, let's sign these documents. And then that way, you know, they can come back to me with any questions or we could do, you know, any sort of follow-up meeting, phone call, virtual meeting to walk through. And sometimes when somebody sees something actually written down on paper, you know, and they see maybe ages for distributions or, you know, who the beneficiaries are, it causes further discussion and further questions. And so we're able to go through that and work together um, with ownership interests and practices or businesses, again, or, you know, if we're looking at it from a gifting perspective and, you know, sometimes you want to make gifts out to grandchildren or children now, as opposed to waiting to put it in the trust until after somebody has passed, you know, we're working with the team of advisors as accountants to see, you know, seeing what has been done in the past so that we can appropriately advise based on current estate and tax and gift tax laws to that couple. And then, so going through the process and then once all the documents look good and the client is comfortable and their questions have been answered, then we make we make arrangements to sign the documents. In light of the last year and a half that we've had with COVID, um, you know, we've become Ohio has not relaxed the signing requirements. So we're not able to use a DocuSign or anything like that, that we still need original signatures with the witness and or a notary, depending on the documents. But we are, you know, at the, you know, trying to be flexible and taking into consideration, you know, the clients, um, you know, where they're located, what their schedule is, and either sending signing instructions or meeting with the client at a location that works 
um, for them or, you know, coming into the office to get the document signed. And then that's not, you know, the final step that all of a sudden we give you these signed documents and say, okay, now you're on your way. The One of the most important parts with the estate planning is after the documents are signed is making sure that the documents that your assets follow what you have in your estate plan, that the assets are properly titled or have proper and appropriate beneficiaries on those documents. So we work together to make sure that that final piece of the puzzle is put in place so that the documents are consistent with the estate plan uh, or your assets, I'm sorry, are consistent with the estate plan you have put into place. Um, as far as length of time, I think that was one of the questions, Nicole, that you had had. You know, a lot can be done via email or phone call right now. But, you know, after that initial meeting and the information gets back to me, we try to have a pretty quick turnaround time um, with, you know, getting the documents back out for review. Um, you know, sometimes things come up where we have to act really, you know, in an expedient manner, uh, maybe somebody's leaving to go out of the country or there, um, you know, is a surgery that, you know, somebody would just feel much better having them in place. So, you know, we, you know, try to obviously get, you know, those documents in place and out. Um, but sometimes, you know, what I do is I understand life gets busy, especially with, uh, you know, busy, thriving practice. So I would send, you know, reminders that if I've sent um, the documents for review, just so that, you know, they don't get lost as, you know, life gets busy and you and, you know, certain times of the year that, you know, just a reminder, do you have any questions um, regarding your documents? So we try to keep it moving. But once the documents meet with the client's approval, then we're able to um, get them signed pretty quickly. Good. I think, um, you know, you touched on this a little bit, too, but, um, you know, with respect to, to kind of the last year, this pandemic, um, you know, really kind of been eye opening on a number of levels, um, not only necessarily on folks own estate plans per se, but I know you and I talked about um, briefly college age students and powers of attorney. Can you just maybe share a little bit um, with our audience? Um, some misconceptions about college students and parents and the rules. I, I know as we talk about COVID testing and quarantine and vaccines and whatever, I mean, there is kind of this, uh, you know, adult, um, you know, age consent and, and access to records that I think are sometimes misconceived by, um, you know, in parents in some cases. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting area. I actually had clients in this morning that their two children are college age, and we are we are discussing the use of healthcare powers of attorney and financial powers of attorney. And so, some colleges are actually I think I might have told you this, Nicole. Some colleges are actually discussing the use of powers of attorney in their orientation with the college students, and it's something that a lot of times you think you know estate planning is not just for somebody nearing retirement or all of a sudden, you know, you have your first little one and you think, oh my goodness, I need a guardian in place. It's also, you know, looking at with the time somebody's a young adult, 18, whether they have graduated high school and they're off to college or they're choosing to enter the workforce or, you know, any sort of vocational training or that, that, you know, that they have these documents in place. And that being said is when somebody's 18, mom or dad is no longer, no, has no, does not have authority any longer to be able to call and make a doctor appointment or to get access to the medical records or to, you know, 
if they're away at school to call, even if you know they are paying to tuition, to be able to access that information. Um, if you know your 18, 19 year old has an accident while they're away at school, you know, without the powers of attorney in play, the healthcare power of attorney in place, or even on the financial side, I'll back up a second. Um, Ohio separates out a healthcare power of attorney and a financial power of attorney. So they're two separate documents. And um, so you can name somebody different to make healthcare decisions and somebody different to step in as your agent for financial decisions. Um, they don't have to be the same person. Sometimes somebody's better suited to make healthcare decisions and somebody might be better suited to make financial decisions. But for your child or your young adult child now, you know, to be able to, you know, access their information or help them, you know, you want to have those documents in place as well. Um, and so, again, it's a conversation uh, to have with your 18-year-old, you know, what are their wishes uh, on the healthcare side? You know, who do they want to be able to, you know, help them, you know, make some of those financial decisions if they're unable to do so, you know, accessing their checking account or, you know, paying any bills that they may have, um, you know, with the college age students, we also make sure within the financial power of attorneys that we have the appropriate language that allows the schools to be able to release um, their confidential, you know, records um, through the school, their grades, that, you know, that type of information. Um, so, you know, we make sure, again, it's working through and finding out, you know, what you know, their needs are as an 18 year old. But yeah, definitely it's something that I think a lot of people overlook because again, they'll always be, you know, they'll always be our children. So even though teen and they're out on their own, you feel that you should be able to call and have that information. And, uh, you know, you, do, you don't necessarily have that information. Um, so I think that's important to remember as your children grow into young adults as well um, to have those conversations with them. Yeah. Well, lastly, I just want to wrap up. I know that, um, you know, we've got some maybe impending um, changes in the law, which might implicate or prompt um, our audience to, you know, want to get with their, you know, trust and estates um, attorney sooner rather than later. Maybe you can just help us kind of tie up with a couple of those trends and, and maybe some of the upcoming legislative changes in that space. Yeah, so it's definitely been a busy year on the estate planning perspective with um, discussions regarding potential changes to our tax laws. So, you know, we're, we don't have new tax laws in place yet, but our current exemptions for on the estate tax side, you know, there is discussion that they will be decreased. Um, they're scheduled to decrease automatically in 2026. However, we're looking at that happening sooner um, with the estate tax exemption for estates going down to three and a half to a, a ballpark range. We're not sure where, you know, it may shake out if they do decrease, but between three and a half and five million a person. So that what um, currently with the exemptions where they are, you know, you it's much higher right now on the estate side. But again, that's scheduled to decrease. And so that's a planning area that, you know, we are looking at is to being able to maximize those exemptions going forward. We're also right now looking at potential decreases to um, gift taxes. Like right now, um, you have a lifetime gifting that matches the estate tax. So for this tax year, it's 11.7 million an individual. So if that estate tax decreases to somewhere between three and a half or five million a person, 
you are so you are your estate is subject to an estate tax. So with trust documents in place, you can reduce you can potentially reduce or eliminate that estate tax. And then on the gifting side, right now your lifetime gifting matches the estate tax exemption. And so there's discussion that that is also going to go down or decrease, you know, possibly even lower that it would not match what the new estate tax exemption would be, that it might decrease somewhere to as low as 1 million in your lifetime. So what we're seeing a lot of this year is people making gifts, you know, potentially before the end of the year to maximize that exemption and maybe transfer assets outside of their estate and gifting them now to, you know, individuals outright um, or to, you know, the use of irrevocable trust where it's held for the benefit of somebody um, until they're of a certain age or for their lifetime, you know, to maximize what we can with the estate and gift taxes. Um, some other you know, things that we're hearing that may be changed. Again, nothing has been changed yet, but um, updated or revised. Currently, there's a step up in basis when somebody passes of an asset that you take it as of the date of death value. And that is an area that is also being discussed that um, with some tax proposals that that step up in basis would be eliminated. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to look at planning right now to be able to maximize and see what the assets are. So that's where you, we, as we started off talking about the team approach as to working with the tax preparer and the financial advisor as to the status of the assets and understanding the overall picture that if we are going to maximize the lifetime gifting this year, while the exemption is still at 11.7 million versus maybe a million um, to utilize what we can now, one other um, area that we're hearing is that, you know, the capital gains tax rate is going to increase. So, you know, we're looking at the overall picture. Um, you know, when we started off 2021, there definitely was a big concern that the tax laws would be changed or amended immediately and that some of it would be retroactive to January 1 of 2021. You know, that hasn't happened. We're in September right now. So again, we're monitoring the situation. We are looking at, you know, any changes, um, you know, on the estate, on our trust and practice group. You know, we try to, you know, keep up to date with the blogs and the alert and client alerts as well, you know, as to any of those changes. So that's definitely something with, you know, our clients that we are looking at. And that's why it's important for us when we do initially meet to get that information so we can appropriately plan for you um, and your needs. Great. Yeah, there's just a, a lot going going on here. And I think, you know, for, for me and, and hopefully for our audience here, the, the takeaway really is that, you know, there, there's a lot of of planning that can be done. And, and while this process seems daunting, and I know for a lot of us, it's like, you know, low on our list of things to do. There's always <laughs> something else, some other meeting, a, a sports event, a, a something or else, and we'll get to that. Um, but I think also in the last year, um, you know, some of our perspectives have changed with respect to not only just, you know, the traditional side of what we think of in estate planning in terms of disposition of assets when somebody passes away, but there are just a lot of operational concerns with respect to businesses and other assets. And, and I know, you know, in our healthcare practice group, 
here at Browse, we oftentimes get asked or to deal with operational questions. You know, you have a physician who passes as a member of a, a shareholder of a practice group. And so now you're dealing with, you know, maybe some shares, some ownership interests, and how do we properly dispose of those within a state and, yeah. you know, um, board resolutions and, and all the things that go on. Uh, or you have a sole sole member of a business who, for whatever reason, is incapacitated, and, and there really isn't a, a person behind them that can step into those shoes. And so from a legal perspective, there are lots of practical considerations for really papering, right, your wishes and desires. And um, I think the last point really is, and you said this a few times, it's not one and done, right? This is a kind of a a moving living document in a sense, right? So even though you might outline some plan on paper, you know, it's worth revisiting from time to time. There are different life events that prompt people to make some changes um, in these documents. And that's just, that's expected. You're not asking, for, you know, kind of for us to do any kind of special um, special acts by modifying those. That's just part and parcel of the trust and estates process. So I think that that would be, you know, some takeaways that I'm getting. I, I don't know if you have anything else to add as we wrap up here. Yeah, no, I, you're right. Um, with the estate planning documents, we try to incorporate within our documents that you don't have to run back for every, every change. And we try to incorporate and look at the future as far as providing flexibility within the documents for things that may change. But again, you know, working together. And I always tell somebody, please reach out, call with a question instead of, you know, wondering or trying to look online. You know, major life changes, you know, there will be divorces, there will be deaths fiduciaries may change, beneficiaries may change. So those are definitely times to reach out and, you know, have a question. Do you, does this bear updating? Is this worth updating? Is this, you know, still sufficient? Uh, you know, I've acquired these new assets. You know, how should they be titled? We try to do reviews with our clients as well to make sure that, you know, with the passage of time, some things will change. I will say with estate planning, when somebody does come in and you mentioned, you know, the business interest and, you know, shareholder agreements and that, you have these documents. And when we start working together and are going through this, you know, sometimes it's a good refresher on that, that, you know, maybe those documents aren't quite what the individual thought they were. So being able to, you know, look at the whole picture to make sure, you know, the last thing you want is, you know, things or assets not going where you think they were through the probate court to get to where you want them to. Um, and it's working together now so that those wishes are met and it makes things easier at a difficult time for your loved ones, you know, that everything is spelled out and in place. So I think, you know, you have these documents, you have the peace of mind that they've been executed and they're in place for the future when, when they are needed. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been hopefully really insightful. I know it's always helpful for me as well just to, to revisit the importance of proactive planning. So we hope our audience here has um, gotten some insightful values as well in terms of, of your own personal planning. And if you want to reach out to us or Lori, our contact information will be in the summary of the podcast series. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode. 